Well, welcome. This is another episode of the Know Your Numbers podcast with Chris McCormick and our guest today, Sanjia Sasadri, out of the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Sanjia is a commercial real estate investor, syndicator, uh, doing all things real estate and has uh, quite an interesting path to that that lifestyle. So I I can't wait to get into it. And uh, Again, Sanjia, thank you for being here. I'm, I'm extremely grateful for, for your time and I'm excited to dive into your story. Thank you so much for the honor of being here in your podcast. I'm super excited to see how I can uh, add value to your listeners. Well, I know I know there is quite, quite a bit of value uh, from your life based off of what you've shared and what I've heard on, on various shows that you've been on. So uh, let's jump right into it. Let's uh, dive into the, the life of Sanjia and what got you down in Dallas, uh, specifically the uh, formidable years of your life. I know that you haven't lived in the, the States your whole life, and um, that was an interesting journey. So, yeah, whatever whatever you feel like sharing, uh, we'd love to hear. So like most Asians, you know, I have a math and engineering kind of background, <laughs> and I dreamt of coming to the U.S., and my parents uh, were doing fine, but they only made about $60 a month in salary, but I wanted to come here at 20K a year to college. Mm-hmm. So I had to study really well, make good grades and get a scholarship to be able to come here. So fast forward, electrical engineering background, corporate America, and then realized business is where all the decisions are being made, got an MBA, and mm-hmm. then went into the stock market and then came to real estate because I wanted a way to uh, reduce my tax burden and also yeah. create a passive income stream. But I didn't have the knowledge to uh, be a landlord and, you know, be a handy person to fix a leaky toilet on Thanksgiving break kind of thing. So, <laughs> you know, I wanted to avoid the whole tenants, toilets, termites and mm. trash, right? The four T's. <laughs> wow. So for that, I found that multifamily is uh, large scale multifamily is the way to do it. So I attended a weekend seminar, joined a mentoring program. And so all I do now is buy large scale multifamily. So large apartments, 100 doors and up where I have the economies of scale to have a third party property management run the show for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, so all my deals are based in Dallas where I've lived for over 30 years now. So wow. um, I really know my market and my location well. And I think like with real estate, location is your number one criteria. You really have to pick the right place to buy your real estate. And so Dallas, along with all the other Sunbelt states, is one of the best markets for multifamily. So I'm super bullish about it. And uh, that's where I, what I do now. That's incredible. And uh, I'm sure we'll get into quite a bit of multifamily talk, but you kind of glanced over the fact that you, your family was living off of $60 a month mm-hmm. in uh, income when you were growing up. So, and from that to, to go and get $20,000 degree, which for mm-hmm. a degree here in the States, $20,000 is honestly quite cheap. So I know you had to work hard to, to get there. Um, yeah, to make that. it's a, 20K per year, you know, is a lot for a back in the day. Right, right, right. yes. (laughs) But yes, today it's about 25K a year is what I pay for my daughter to go to college. So that's. Well, I'm sure she she's worked hard to make that possible. And you guys uh, made the right decisions along the way. So I'd love to but I'd love to hear about like what kind of mindset you had to have um, to get yourself from the $60 a month that what you reached out to me on was the $8 a week for groceries, like going from that to the American dream per se, Mm -hmm. and and being able to achieve everything that, that you have, what, 
had to take place along the way? How did, have you grown? But also, how does that serve you, your past in India, I believe? Um, mm -hmm. How does that serve you in your current position, if at all? I think the biggest thing that I got out of all of that is there is always a way. It depends on mm -hmm. how badly you want something. So no matter how huge the goal seems to you, uh, it doesn't matter because there's always a way around getting there. Like, let's say you want to fly first class all the time, mm -hmm. but you can't really afford to pay for a first class ticket. You figure out what is another way I can do first class, right? right. You pick off peak times to travel and you see if the agent can give you an upgrade uh -huh. or you find someone who's an airline employee who can get you a seat. And so mm -hmm. you pay a fraction of the full price. So it's just like, you know, buying Christmas items after Christmas, right? Buying Halloween items in November rather than October. It's the same concept. There's always a sale, a clearance or some other way to get there. Like if I really want to go watch a show and it's super expensive for me to buy the ticket, I volunteer to work there, right? Uh -huh. I go become an employee there. That's yep. all you have to do. So there's always a way around it. It just depends on how badly you want it. Wow, that's incredible. That's, yeah. yeah, I think that's a great uh, alley into the real yeah. estate world. Because, yeah. I mean, from what I know of you, mm -hmm. you were, I mean, you say you don't want to deal with the four T's, but mm -hmm. when somebody thinks real estate, they, they think it's hard enough to get one single family property. But you found a way to invest into these massive multifamily apartment mm -hmm. complexes. So what, what was the way into that? What opened your eyes to that possibility? And uh, how can somebody who's just getting started in real estate really venture into the, the syndication commercial world? I recommend skipping the whole single family world unless you're really <laughs> trained and really good at it, or mm -hmm. you grew up with a dad who's a handy person kind of background, you know, fix and flips yeah. and all that, because you are trading your time for money when you mm -hmm. do those kind of jobs. It's just like a corporate job, except with this, you're your own boss, but you're still trading your time for money. Versus if you go large enough, then you have the economies of scale to afford employees, which is through your property management company. And then you become an asset manager instead of a day-to-day -day property manager. So you're not looking at leasing agreements. You're not worrying about maintenance issues and all of that. Instead, you're at a high level. You look at KPIs. You know, what are the metrics I need to watch? My revenue, my you know expenses, my net operating income. These are our budget targets. Are you meeting that? Are you exceeding that? Right. So you become an asset manager. So the, I think the biggest barrier for most people is the mindset. So to think that I can own a single family home down the street as a rental property versus I can own that 200 uh, door apartment down the street from me. Why can't I own that? What does it take to own that? Right. Yeah. So instead of saying, can I do it? It's uh, two concepts. One is who, not how. Right. That's mm. a famous book. So who can help me get there? And then how can I get there? Right. What does it take? What are those people doing that's so special? So it's a lot of ordinary people like me going and buying these large apartments in the area, which means that most of it is a loan. So 80% of the purchase price of my property is a loan, just like when you buy your house, except it's Fannie or Freddie or a bridge agency that's loaning me 80% of the purchase price. So I only have to come up with the remaining 20% right? Which makes mm -hmm. the whole cost a lot smaller. So let's say I bought a $20 million apartment. I only have to come up with maybe the six or $7 million, not all the $20 million apartment, the mm -hmm. cost that is needed for it, right? So, okay, now $6 million, that's still a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So what is $6 million? Let's break that down. That's $100,000 per investor times 60 investors, <laughs> right? To get to 6 million. So then you again, break that down to, I need 60 people who can each give me 100K. Well, when you start out, probably there's nobody who's going to give you 100K, right? <laughs> so then you realize, okay, my friends and neighbors and people down the street are not really my 100K kind of crowd. 
So where do I find the 100K crowd, right? Who do I know? Who knows the 100K crowd? Mm -hmm. So the first deal when you want to get it, which is such a large deal, you sort of piggyback the off of the resume of partners who are already doing it. Mm. So copy the people who are doing what you want to be doing. Yeah. Go find them, go be helpful to them, go offer your time and services to them. And so your first deal, you may not make a lot of money, but you hang off of their coattails and you learn as much as you can. Then you say, yeah, these cool guys are my partners or these cool gals are my partners. And you leverage their resume, then the broker awards you the deal. And because of their resume, you can go say, we, the team, mm. have this offering rather than me, the clueless first timer is offering a deal, right? Yeah. So that's how I did it. Is I found partners who knew what they were doing and I offered my time and my labor. So I dropped my kids off to school and say, I'm here all day for you. Whatever you need done in a Dallas property, I'll go do the work for you. And then wow. you be the brains and I be the brawn. That's how mm -hmm. I started. And then That's as I gained the knowledge, I'm like, now I can be a lead sponsor and I can bring newbies in and train them. And this way they take less risk because I've seen it before. I've done it now. So I know what to anticipate. I know what problems we'll have. I know what costs are going to go up, taxes, insurance, et cetera, having done it a few times. And now I have a large network of people. So if my apartment catches fire, I probably know somebody who can help me through that yeah, <laughs> as an example. Wow, that is so good. And uh, there's so much to unpack there. And I love how uh, passionate and <laughs> and uh, on fire you are for real estate. It's, it's really inspiring. But uh, I will say, like, how do you go about finding the right people you know that you need that synergy and you need to make sure what has helped in your pursuit of partners investors and team members most important thing to look for is people that you actually can get along with but who have complementary skills to you so if something is your strength like we can sell i like talking to people i like putting in my work and time but what i lacked was experience i had never done it before so i really needed somebody who's had a track record of being successful in doing this and then figure out what do i have to offer to them why the heck would somebody with all this experience partner with me right so it's just like when you go for a job interview, why me? If I don't have the experience, why would they hire me, right? So then you figure out what you have to offer. So if you've already been in the corporate world and you have a large network of people who are high net worth, well, then you can say, I could maybe bring some money into the deal, but I don't have experience and I learn from you. So mm -hmm. figure out your strengths, figure out your weakness, find partners who can fulfill that weakness and who love to do what is your weakness that you don't want to do, right? Uh -huh. That's yep. the biggest thing. But as far as where to find those partners, it's like a country club membership. You know, I joined a mentoring program and that's what it gave me access to. Once you sign up, you have this country club. It's up to you to go and build that network and keep going to the events and figuring out who you like, who you can work with and who you want to do business with. And you have several conversations. So in terms of doing business like a large multifamily deal, I would suggest trying to underwrite deals. And figuring out who underwrites with the same kind of conservative or aggressive underwriting as you, who has a gap, like I found partners out of state. And so being a boots on the ground in Dallas, I could offer value to them. So if you are somebody out there in California and Silicon Valley or wherever and have a large network of investors, but you don't have a lot of time, then capital is maybe what you bring into the deal, right? Mm -hmm. So figure out your strengths and find partners who can complement that. So as a team, you are a whole. Yes, that's so good. And uh, I think that's that's everything it is. It's just finding people and, and finding the skills that you need and, and going out there and get it. But I do like the uh, 
the concept of networking and joining a network group. And I also think there's something that uh, you're kind of glancing over, but but I know is important to you. And that's the uh, idea of self-education. You mentioned the book, Who Not How. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on self-education and growing your knowledge, be it in your industry or just in general, uh, the mindset, all that good stuff. Constantly learning something. Even you learn a lot from people who don't have the same experience as you. I learn a lot from my kid. You know, mm -hmm. from observing my kid and seeing their undying curiosity and positivity about anything new, right? Wow. That's something we can learn as grown-ups. But when you talk about education, it comes in various forms. When you attend conferences, right? I signed up for a weekend event. Go with a purpose. I'm going to come back with at least six people that I'm going to meet with whom I want to have a follow-up conversation. Two of them are going to be potential future investors. Two of them could be future partners. Maybe one or two could be just vendors in the industry, but I want to have a deeper connection. Don't go in there saying, I'm going to come back with 50 business cards. Instead, mm -hmm. I'm going to have six people with whom I'm going to make a strong connection. Wow. That's going to get me. Because all it really takes from an event is if you get that one connection that could change your life, mm -hmm. that's pretty much pace for that conference. Yeah. So don't be busy collecting stacks and stacks of business cards of everybody else who's like you, who's just saying, oh, who wants to invest? Who wants to invest? Instead, say, look, I'm going to like form a deep connection with this one construction guy who's going to help me with my construction project on my next deal. Or I'm going to really talk to this lawyer and connect well, because you know what? I'm going to bring that lawyer in to talk to my investors about uh, the struggles with a PPM, like a private placement memorandum and explain that to them. Right. Mm. So I go in a very strategic way now. Mm. And that helps a lot in terms of the continuous education part of it, because one person could have so much knowledge, you could talk to them for days. And still yep. learn plenty from them. <laughs> of course, podcasts and books are great. And so constantly reading books and making that part, like improving my health is a big part of my goals. It's been for the last six months. So whenever I go for a walk, I have an audible or a podcast I listen to. And I have structured it again to where this month, I'm going to know everything I need to know on this one topic. And I'm going to become a master at it. So not just randomly, I'm just going to listen to every episode of one particular person. Instead, it's going to be, I need to know everything I need to know about, I don't know, IRAs. Or, yeah, you know, yeah. 401ks, uh, you know, insurance, uh, you know, taxes, financing, whatever your topic is, and deep dive into it. So I go wow, with a very wow. specific goal in mind when I do my studying. Yeah, that's incredible. And I, I got to ask, have you always been this strategic or crystal clear on, on the vision and, and what it is? Or has it come over time? Because it's, it's amazing. I think like at the beginning, when I got into this real estate, I realized very quickly that there's too many different things to learn. Mm. And apartment investing is a team sport. It's not like a single family rental where somehow I cough up the money and I put the down payment and get a bank loan and buy a single family property. Right. And then I try to fix it up myself or find a friend who can do that. Mm. Multifamily is truly a team sport. So if you're going to always wait to take action until you know everything, that could be endless. Right. It's never going to be a time when I'm going to say I know everything. I mean, <laughs> people who write books are not going to know everything, right? Yeah. So you realize very quickly, it's all about who I know, not what I know. Mm -hmm. So I just need to make sure I'm always plugged into a network that can help me find the answers through yeah. all of my struggles. Wow. And then you realize, I'm not going to wait to learn everything. I'm going to learn one thing, become an expert at it, offer that to somebody else who is, will be an expert at something else that they're really good at. So together as a team, we fill all the gaps. Yes. That's awesome. And I, you brought up the fact that authors don't know any, know everything. Not, they know more than most of us. And right. I do. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, please. Yeah, yeah. exactly. 
Um, I did see in your LinkedIn profile that you are an author. Is that right? I have uh, contributed to books. Okay. Yes, I All have right. written uh, different chapters in books. One was about negotiating. One was about asset management tricks. One was about KPIs and so on. So wow. that's cool. And so how has that served you um, both as a real estate professional and just as a person? The, uh... It's really helped me think about it. So if you know something well enough to teach and write about it, that's another level of, you know, being really good at whatever that mm -hmm. subject is. It also makes you connect well to the main author who's writing the book because you're contributing. It helps you network with more people and it helps to just get your name out in the industry as well as far as connections go. So that now, let's say I want to do a $50 million deal. I've never done a deal that large before, yeah. but I know people who can easily raise the capital for it, right? So yeah. that's through connections that you make. So each one gives you, you know, in some way you contribute to somebody else and you never know when it'll pay back to you. Maybe it's three years down the line that it'll pay back, but constantly keep giving in some way to people and somewhere along the way it'll pay back. Wow, I love that. I uh that uh, brings into mind a, a Bible verse that I frequent often, and that's the the reaping what you sow. And if you sow bountifully, you'll you'll reap bountifully. So that hits, and and it's awesome to hear that that served you well. Um, I, I mean, I have plenty other uh, yeah. questions, and it could go on forever. You're you're an extremely intelligent and uh, wise individual. I I'm curious as to what brought you into real estate we we talked a little bit about it but i know you had a a corporate job for a while and i heard on uh whitney's podcast that was uh mm -hmm. something to do with the tax advantages so i'd love to yes. hear um what exactly struck your interest and how the tax advantages have served you and will continue to serve you as you progress so real estate is one of the best ways i think to just build wealth in general but specifically taxes, and especially with a Trump tax law that came into uh, fruition a few years ago, you get to take all your depreciation that is normally allocated maybe over a 10-year period. You could take all of that into year one. Mm -hmm. So a $100,000 investment in a deal could give you 100000 or more in passive K-1 losses. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> that's just, it's a paper loss. It's not like your investment has lost that much in value. So uh, when you're a qualified real estate professional, this is a huge benefit. So definitely look it up on the tax code for the IRS. What does it take to be a qualified real estate professional and how that can give you tax advantages? Speak to your accountant if your scenario is valid to take advantage of that. And in my case, it was if I spent enough time, like over 750 hours in a year as a full-time real estate qualified professional because I didn't have a W-2 job. So mm -hmm. that gave me a huge tax advantage, which itself paid for itself. Even if I didn't actually make a lot of money, it helped me defer my taxes on a right. lot of uh, real estate you know, in investments. That was my biggest reason for coming into real estate and then sort of figuring out, is this something I like to do? Would I enjoy doing this full time? And, and, and it turned out to be yes, because mm -hmm. I could always outsource or find partners to do the things that I don't want to do. And then just focus on the things that are my strengths and things I enjoy doing. Right. So, uh, and yeah, then, I highly um, recommend that. And then one other thing I want to point out is uh, community initiatives is a big one for me because I came here, you know, as a student and lived in a very simple apartment, et cetera, sharing and roommates and all that. 
So um, when we bring communities together as apartment owners now, we try to do a community activity, especially around the holidays. Like, you know, we do a door decorating contest and Halloween costume contest, or, you know, we gave away pies or turkey for Thanksgiving kind of events. It brings communities together and we're really improving the apartments. This is not a case of a landlord neglecting a property and just blindly charging more rent. In fact, we offer them amenities and features at a lower cost and try to make older apartments look really nice and new, almost like a brand new build at a much lower rent than they would have to pay to a brand new build apartment. And so we really focus on workforce housing and our community initiatives. Like a few months ago, one of our residents, when he, uh, his wife had their baby and they, she came back home from the hospital, she died three days later. So here he is home with a toddler and a newborn six days old and uh, he lost his wife. So what we did is we did a big community drive. We got him a bunch of diapers, clothing for his baby, for his, uh, you know, toddler, et cetera. And also figured out a way to get his rent covered for several months just from our community drive and initiative. So we actually do things to help our residents Uh because we know he was going through a tough period. Right. And so hopefully he's back on his feet. He's still in our property. So that's just one example of how we bring communities together. So in 2020, when COVID hit and everyone's worried about delinquencies and nobody can pay rent. We had our residents come to us and say, listen, I lost my job. I can't afford to pay the next two months of rent. So we help them apply for rent relief through all the local agencies available. And so this particular lady, who I remember distinctly, for two months, she didn't have rent. By the third month, she had found a job. She was able to pay us back what little she owed because she already had these agencies covering her rent for her. So I only had one tenant that I had to evict in all of 2020 from delinquency issues. So when you build communities, it all makes sense. So if you do it right by your customer, which in my case is my resident, Mm -hmm. everything else falls in place. That is so good. And there's nothing else, which there so is, that comes out of this uh, podcast. It's that right there. Because we talk so much about relationships and Mm -hmm. Oftentimes that that's seen as relationships like right here with with other business partners, but the relationship with with your tenant and to be mm-hmm. intentional about that is just that's mm-hmm. that in itself pays for. I mean, clearly pays for itself. So yep, it sure does. They never leave. <laughs> I mean, I have tenants who've been in the same property for seven, eight years and they're like, yeah, I don't really want you to do a lot of modifications. I'm happy with this. And I'm like, well, I still got to bump your rent by 50 bucks. They're like, it's OK. I'm yeah. fine with it. Get me a new fridge and I'm happy. You know, wow. we have yeah. people staying for a long time at our properties. Mm, that's so good. And wh- how, where has that come from? Is that something you learned or is that something that's just kind of instinctual? Because for me, it seems like that's instinctual. You're just a. Yeah, <laughs> a it's very person. instinctive, right? It's just you yep. take care of people, you know, <laughs> and they take care of you and they, you serve your customers, right? That's a basic customer service thing. And mm. your resident is your customer. If you don't take care of them, then you don't have residents, right? If you don't have customers, it's like a doctor. A doctor (laughs) has to have a good bedside manner. Otherwise, why would I go to them? I mean, they're all trained to be good professionals. You think they're all doing a good job, but their bedside manner is terrible and they're rude and they don't take care of it. And I'm always waiting in the office. I'm not going to go back. It's just like that. Tenants have a choice. They can pick whatever apartment they want. So you serve them well, they'll stay with you. If not, they have a lot of choices. That's so good. I think there's a couple listeners wishing that you were their landlord right now. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Well, Sanjay, I really appreciate your time. And I do have a couple last minute questions, but I want to be mm-hmm. cognizant of that. Um, 
Sure. We've talked a little bit about the mindset. I want to dive into the mindset behind money because this is a, a finance oriented show. And I think money mindset is something people don't always think about, but it controls so many people. So I'm curious as to what your view on money is, if you're comfortable sharing it and how that's changed as a result of you investing, you coming to the States, you just doing what it is you're doing. Money is a great tool and you always will need money. And so I feel like I need to have a certain amount of money available to me to not worry. Mm -hmm. But like my car is eight years old. I don't plan to replace it. I don't need a Ferrari or a Mercedes. I drive to my properties. I don't want to be seen in a shiny car, right? But at the same time, I don't want to go home and worry about where my next meal is coming from. So there's a certain level of affluence I need, and I'm happy to admit that. But I don't need the Ferraris. I don't need five mansions. I have one house. I live in it, and that's plenty for me, right? I don't need vacation home in every beach in the world. <laughs> so you have to figure out what that is for you. What is that magical number per month that keeps you at a level where you're happy and stable, right? So my goal was at the beginning, thousand a month, right? Now mm -hmm. it went to 5,000 a month. And now it's like, okay, I want to get to 10,000 a month because at 10,000 a month, I can easily pay all my bills, have the occasional vacation kind of level. So you have to define what money is to you, what it means to you. For me, money is freedom of time and freedom of being able to do what I want when I want. So when I was in the corporate job, if I had to have the job to pay my bills, I had to be there eight to five as an example, which meant I couldn't be there when my kid got out of school at 2.45. So for me, having enough money to not have that corporate job and do this instead gives me the flexibility. Every day I'm at school to pick up my kid. That's important to me. So money is just a tool to help you live the lifestyle that you want. So only you can define what that number is. Do you need a mansion with you know three car garage and 5,000 square feet? Or is a nice house, 2,500 square feet, maybe call a two-car garage is plenty for you. What location you want to live in, right? So money is just a tool for your lifestyle that you want. And for me, that's freedom. Yeah, that's so good. And I, I go mean, ahead. parks are free. Beautiful roads are free. I drive in four-lane highways every day. Wow. Most of the parks are free. The outdoors is free. Uh, beautiful trees, gorgeous landscapes. All of that is free to me, right? So I come as an immigrant, just wow, America is so amazing kind of mentality versus for you, it may not be such a big deal. Yeah, I'm used to a park. I'm used to going to the elementary school and playing in the park. For me, it's like, oh, that is so amazing to have all this open space. What do I need money for? What? To build a home gym? I don't need that. Just go to the playground, go to the park, mm. use these big roads and, you know, there's beauty all around us. Wow. So what that is, is money so for? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I'm clipping all of that for this episode because it's so good. <laughs> there are just value bumps through and through. So I, I thank you for that. And that's not always something that we hear is that, I mean, you hear that money's a tool, but usually it's from people who have, have the, the mansions and the five cars and, and all this crazy stuff. But yeah, to, to see somebody that's doing it and to just, just to, have that freedom that intentional living that you talk about is it's awesome and i think that's that's something that that needs to be professed a little bit more so i honor that and i i look forward to more people picking up on that because of you sanjaya um and i love flying southwest airlines cattle class as i call it i get thrilled when i pay 50 dollars each way for my ticket i uh, i think i flew first class once like five years ago when i had a milestone anniversary using an upgrade you know on my ticket. <laughs> 
But I, I don't crave those things. I think yeah. it depends on what you crave. Like, do you need to fly first class to feel special? I just have to look in the eyes of my kiddos and I feel special, huh. you know? So it's it's what feel, makes you feel special. Do you need that Ferrari to feel special? I don't. I'm like right. absolutely thrilled driving through and getting a nice ice cream cone with mm. my kiddos and I feel thrilled, you know, and going yeah. to the park with them. So it's what you need. Mm. That is so good. I, I really hope people are paying attention and, and taking notes because uh, I know I'm going to be going back and taking notes on this. It's uh, That's wisdom in itself. So thank you again. Um, and once again, I do thank you for your time. Uh, I will close this with the question that we've been offering to all our guests. Uh, and before I end, I just want to ask you, Sanjay, how people can uh, connect with you. How, how can they uh, learn more about you? How can they invest in you if that's something they're interested in? What's, what's the best way to get in contact with you? My website is the best way and it's multifamilyforyou.com where it's multifamily spelled out, then number four, Y-O-U.com. Mm -hmm. And they can put in their name, email address and send me any kind of a note from there and then we can follow up after that. I'm also on LinkedIn. It's an easy way to find me, Sandia Sashadri in Dallas. With an electrical engineering background, there's not too many who are then now into multifamily. So I'm pretty easy to find. Oh, that's so good. And I honestly, I commend you for making the jump and for going on that journey because there's more people I think that need to hear of people that that took that leap and had that that corporate background and I think we do um, tend to a lot of those so I, I really believe that some people are going to get some value out of this so uh, I won't waste too much of your time but uh, the last question that we we do ask our guests is Sandia what is one truth about money that most people regard as a myth Money brings happiness. Mm. Money can make you happy only up to a certain extent. It can't fix your relationship. It can't cure you from cancer. And, uh, you know, unless you have your mental and your physical and spiritual world all in place, you know, I'm not saying you can live in poverty like in some really poor countries in Africa or parts of India and be happy. I'm not saying that at all. Mm. Like I said, you need a certain basic level of affluence. But the more money you buy and the more Ferraris you get, that's not going to buy you your true happiness. Mm. That's so good. I love it. And I think, again, that's something that needs to be shown to everyone. Um, with that, I, I am thrilled to, to have you on the show. And I, I know this is the first of many conversations. Sandy, if there's anything else that you'd like to offer the listeners, feel free to do so now. But if, if there's a anything else we can do for you, just let us know. But thank you so much for your time. Uh, I really value it. And I'm so glad that you reached out to me. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. <laughs> Likewise. And I'll let you know when this comes out. But uh, in the meantime, I'm sure I'll, I'll be reaching out to you to ask more questions and hopefully connect again soon. Thank you. God bless. Talk soon. <laughs>